0: It is great to be with you tonight, even though I'm very far away. We are going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. You can follow along on the screen behind me or in your Bibles. Begin with verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Pray with me. Lord, we have just heard from your word. You have spoken to us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the gift of hearing with faith. Lord, as we look at your word, as we unpack it, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to love what is there. Spirit, I pray that you would meet us tonight. We have all come from different places this past week. We have had cares and troubles and difficulties. We've had successes. Lord, we've come to meet with you. And I pray that you would meet us tonight as we look at your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a question for you. The question is this. If you're a Christian today, this day, how do you know that you will finish your life as a Christian? How can you have confidence that if you're trusting in Jesus today, right here and right now, that in five years, in ten years, in twenty years, you will continue to trust in Jesus. It is February 26th. How many of you have kept your New Year's resolutions that you started two months ago? We can barely do that. So how do we have any hope? How can we have any assurance? How can we do anything to grant us the hope that at the end of our lives, we will be Christians then? Now, you could answer that question in a number of ways. The the greatest answer to that question, the chief hope that Christians have, is that God has promised to keep us. God himself has promised that he will lead his people like a shepherd and that he who began a good work in them will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We have rock-solid hope in God and his commitment to his people. But from a human perspective, we can look at our lives and we can see things that will help us to persevere to the end, that will help us to finish the Christian life faithfully. And our text shows us two things that we can do. One is we can look at what sort of teaching are we listening to. And the second is is we can look at whose lives we are imitating. 1 Timothy 4, we just read it, is written from Paul to Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And he's speaking directly to Timothy as a pastor. But as a pastor, he's speaking so that the whole church can listen in and can learn as well. Paul is encouraging Timothy to keep going, to teach rightly and live rightly so the people of God would have an eternal hope. And as we look at our passage, we're going to see three themes of pastoral mer- ministry emerge. The first is we're going to see the content of pastoral ministry. What is pastoral ministry supposed to say? Next, we're going to look at the example of pastoral living. And third, the fruit of pastoral ministry. The content of pastoral teaching, the example of pastoral living, and the fruit of pastoral ministry. And the main thing that we're going to see is that faithful teaching and faithful living leads to God's people's eternal joy. So let's first look at the first theme that we see, the content of pastoral ministry, We've been noticing, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, that Paul is concerned in this section with teaching. And then in verse 16, Timothy is told, Keep a close watch on yourself... And on the teaching. So clearly, as Paul is calling Timothy to a pastoral ministry, teaching is central to his calling as a pastor. But the question is, what is Timothy supposed to teach? What is he supposed to say with his teaching? Some of you are teachers, right? You all have different subject matters that you teach. What's Timothy's subject matter supposed to be? And I think we see the key in verse 13. In verse 13, Paul says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading, literally the reading, to exhortation and to teaching. Paul says, do this until I come, not because these are temporary things that will go away eventually, but because likely when Paul comes, Paul's going to be the one who's going to take over that. Paul's the apostle, right? He's the one who writes Bible He's going to be the one who's going to be teaching the church. But the tasks remain the same. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Pastors are called to be men of the Bible. We have one book that we are supposed to master, we are called to read the Bible for ourselves and for others. We are called to study the Bible, to teach the Bible, to unpack the meaning of a text, and then exhortation to apply that in comfort, in rebuke, and encouragement, as the situation calls for. Why is Timothy supposed to devote himself to the public reading? Why is that one the first thing that Paul mentions? Devote yourself to the public reading. I think there's two reasons for this. First, the public reading of Scripture, so when Scripture is taken and read publicly for all to hear, the public reading of Scripture was the way in which God's people would have engaged with the Word in the first century. Do you realize what a privilege it is to have access to the Scriptures today the way that we do? printing press was not invented until the 1400s, which meant that it was very, very difficult to write out a copy of the Bible. The Bible is a big book with lots and lots of words. It was expensive to do that. It was a big library. There were scrolls that were rolled up. We see this in Jesus' ministry. Jesus goes to the synagogue where the scrolls would have been held, and he pulls That was why the first century church often met in synagogues and in temple. It's because that's where the Old Testament was. We have such a privilege of being able to carry the Bible with us. I counted them in in this last week. In my home, here in Alain, I'm embarrassed to say how many I have in my parents' house in the U.S. In my home in Alain, I have 14 Bibles of different translations. On my computer... I have at least 25 translations that I can access. You, on your phone, right, if you have a smartphone, you can get access to a free, reliable Bible in your own language, most likely. This is unfathomable access to Scripture. I mean, Paul and Timothy could not dream of this in their day. What a gift that we have. Timothy was to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture because Scripture was worth it for the people to hear. They knew that they needed the Bible for their food. They needed to hear it so they could meditate on it day and night. They came together at difficult and awkward times in the day because they loved God's Word and wanted to hear from it. Timothy read the Scripture so that people could have access to it. But that's only one reason why he was supposed to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture. The second question that we should ask is, why does Timothy want his people to know the Bible? I mean, Timothy's the expert, right? He's traveled with Paul. He's been well taught. We looked at that last week. Why why does he want the congregation to be able to hear the words of Scripture for themselves? Why not Timothy just go up and tell them what the Bible says? The reason for this is because Timothy's authority as a pastor and all pastors' authority today is based upon whether or not we rightly interpret this book. And in order to know whether we rightly interpret this book, you need to be able to know it for yourself. The church in Ephesus need to be able to hear the very words of Scripture, so that they could hear then what Timothy taught and say, that lines up with this. That is faithful interpretation. His authority as a pastor depended upon his right handling of the Bible. He is called to say what the Bible says. He's not supposed to add his own opinion into it. He's not supposed to talk about his favorite topics outside of the Bible. Pastors teach the Bible. The reason for this is that in the Bible, we have the very words of God, and we have all the words of God that we need. God may see fit to provide prophecy. We see that in our passage. Timothy had a prophecy provided about him. But in the Bible, you have every word of God that you need for life. It is our standard It is our final authority. Pastors are held accountable to their teaching of the Bible. They stand under the Bible rather than over the Bible, which means that if we are saying one thing and the Bible is saying another, we are the ones who are wrong, not the Scripture. And the church needs to know what the Bible says. The Bible is the life of the church. The Bible is the substance, the content of pastoral teaching. Teaching here is taking a passage and interpreting it. Exhortation, as I said earlier, is bringing it to the life of the church. We say this regularly at Redeemer Alain. If you've been with us for a while, then you've heard us say this probably. You should not ultimately care what I have to say or what John has to say. Unless what we have to say lines up and is found with this book we are not the ones who are authoritative on our own this is our authority and so you should care what we say when we teach this book rightly this is one of the reasons why we teach through whole books of the bible we've been in first timothy we've seen some awkward things in first timothy passages that you're like i want to grow a church What am I going to talk about? How about I talk about women not being able to teach, right? That's probably not the passage that you're going to go to. We're going to spend two weeks talking about widows and talking about how the church provides for widows. We do that because we want to see what the whole Bible says. We don't want to pick and choose our favorite passages. We want to stand under the word and have God determine what we're supposed to be teaching. We need to hear all that God says. Now, this doesn't mean that we always get it right. So we might be wrong in how we understand this Bible. But what it does mean is that when we get it wrong, we know that we're wrong from the Bible. We don't know that we're wrong because someone doesn't like what we say. We know what we're wrong because someone shows us from the Word. The Bible is our final standard and authority. What does this mean for you? It means that you should know what the Bible says. You should be regularly reading your Bible. If we had a more extended worship service like we previously used to, we would have a specific reading of scripture in our worship service. We've already mentioned you have access to the Bible in a way that is unfathomable. You should read it. You should know what it says. The teaching that you regularly listen to, it will have an impact on our lives. What we hear will shape the way that we live. And when we run to teaching that leads us away from God, what we will find is that our lives will follow. When we sit under teaching that leads us to God, where we encounter the living God through his word, we find that our lives will also follow that. Little by little, week in and week out, we have the opportunity to either be fixed to the glory of Christ or to have our eyes drawn to the things of this world. And the way in which you will know what is true teaching from what is false teaching is by reading your Bible. If you're not reading your Bible, you will not be able to discern what teaching is demonic, like we saw earlier in chapter 4, from what teaching is godly. One final note before I move on, because I'm sure some of you have questions about this. Timothy, it seems, was specifically set apart for this teaching ministry. If you look at verse 14, it says, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So, we saw earlier in 1 Timothy, Paul mentions that a prophecy was made about Timothy. Here, we see that Timothy has a gift, a gift that was received by the Holy Spirit when the council of elders laid hands on him. Because of the context, this gift is most likely the gift of teaching and preaching, it's a gift from the Spirit. It was administered when the elders made a prophecy, or someone made a prophecy, and the elders recognized it and put their hands on Timothy and administered the gift of teaching to him. Now, we may be confused at what that means or how that works or how that works today. What I want to emphasize is the purpose behind Paul bringing it up. Paul brought it up because it happened, but he doesn't dwell on the fact that it happened. What's his purpose in bringing it up? His purpose is keep teaching. Don't neglect it. Timothy, you have received from the Holy Spirit a gift. You have been empowered to this ministry, and teaching is a way to serve the church. Don't be ashamed of the truth. Don't hide the truth. Devote yourself to the truth and keep teaching the word. So that's the first theme of pastoral ministry, the content of pastoral ministry teaching is the Bible. The second theme that we see is the example of pastoral living. Timothy is called to set an example for the church to follow. Put simply, Timothy is not only supposed to teach the Bible, he's supposed to live the Bible. Look at verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. We don't know exactly how old Timothy was when this was writing. The, the word that's used here for youth, that Greek word, it may indicate an in age up to 40 years old. Some of your home cultures are like that, right? If you're a youth, you can be in your 30s and you're still a youth. While Timothy may not be a teenager, he probably isn't. He's been traveling with Paul independently. He's been left to pastor this church in Ephesus. He might be in his mid-30s. He still is probably significantly younger than the rest of his congregation. And there's going to be a temptation there. There's going to be a temptation to be fearful and to not say, because there are older people with more life experience, sitting in the congregation. Paul encourages him to not let people look down on him for his youth. But notice how he does that. He doesn't do that by being the cockiest, most confident person in the room. He doesn't strut up and show off his CV and be like, yeah, I might be young, but I've been with Paul. Do you know where I've been? I've traveled around the Greek world. I have scars. Listen to me. No, that's not how Timothy is going to not let people despise him. The way in which Timothy is going to not let people despise him is how? It's by setting an example for all believers, by living in a way that reflects the glory of God coming to bear upon his life. In his speech, His conduct, his love, his faith, his purity. Paul doesn't let Timothy fall back on his youth as an excuse. Sometimes we can do that. We can be quick-tempered. We can be opinionated. We can be brash. We can struggle with sexual sin. And we'll blame the fact that, well, we're young. Paul doesn't let Timothy do that, though. He says, don't use your youth as an excuse. Instead, set an example for all believers. You cannot control how mature you are in years. So you can't make yourself a day older. But you can control how intentionally you pursue maturity in Christ. And that's what Timothy is called to. People need not only the teaching of Scripture, but they need examples to follow. Timothy is to set an example. About three months ago, two months ago, I can't remember, sometime before Christmas, we bought new chandeliers from Ikea. We decided that we were going to stay in our house another year, and so we had these chandeliers. They were okay, but we wanted to put up chandeliers that had our personality. And so we bought the chandeliers, but guess what? I'm a pastor. I'm not an electrician. I don't know what I'm doing. And so I called somebody and I had them come out and I had them hang the chandeliers. Now, I probably could have read how to do that and tried to do it on my own and gotten electrocuted and you guys would have found find another pastor. But instead, what I did is I stood there. And as these guys came and charged me too much money, I watched them hang these chandeliers. And I said, oh, that's how you do it. Well, so about a month later we bought another chandelier and I decided I'm not going to pay somebody else. I'm going to try and do it myself. And by God's grace and with fear and trepidation, I hung that chandelier and it stands above our kitchen table right now. And I think it's still hanging up there. It might have fallen down by the time the service is over and the Lord would judge me. But I learned how to do it by watching people, by imitating, by standing there and staring and seeing how did you connect those wires how did you fix the chandelier when you watch someone follow jesus faithfully it takes the abstract words of scripture and it makes it concrete it gives you a tangible example for people to see and this is what pastors are called to do their speech is to be humble to be appropriate. To be measured giving life to those who hear their conduct their way of life is to be christ-like and godly imitating jesus's own way of living pastor's love is to be genuine and sacrificial willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of christ and christ's people their faith is to be significant trusting the lord's promises even when things around them don't seem to be going their way. And their lives are to be pure, holy and blameless and upright before the Lord. Pastors should have the aroma, the smell of holiness, regardless of their age. You know how when you walk by the oud store in the mall, you just know where you are because there's a smell there. That's the way pastors are supposed to be. Now, I'm so encouraged by what Paul says in verse 15. In verse 15, Paul says, "...practice these things, immerse yourself in them, literally be in them, so that all may see your progress." I'm encouraged by that because Paul assumes that Timothy has room to grow, both in his teaching and in the way that he lives his life. He assumes that his growth will not just be evident to Paul the super-apostle, but to church members. That there are church members who will look on and be like, Timothy, you're young, but you're growing. You're following the Lord. This is encouraging to me because there are countless times when I can look back on my own life. When I can look back on this week and see all the ways that I need to grow in this. I can be quick to anger. I can be harsh with my words. I can be impatient and unloving. I can struggle to believe God's promises. Pastors are not called to be perfect, but they are called to be godly, and they are called to grow in godliness and progress in their growth as they serve as examples to the flock. So pastors are called to teach the Bible. Pastors are called to set an example. In verse 16, we see the reason this is so important. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul is aware of the temptations that come with being a pastor. He's aware of the temptation to use one's position for the sake of one's own status in the world and selfish gain. It feels good to stand up on this stage and have people sit and listen to what I say. He's aware of the temptation to hypocrisy, to say one thing with your words and to live another way with your life. He's aware of the temptation to be domineering, to be argumentative, to be unloving. He's aware also of the temptation To change what we teach. To drift away from saying what the Bible says. At every time, and in every culture, there have been truths from this book that would have been cultural suicide for someone to say. The idea of a crucified Messiah, a suffering servant, who was the king, was a stumbling block to the Jews of the first century. The idea of the goodness of God's creation, that stuff, physical matter, is good and made by God, would have been seen as vulgar to the Gnostics of the first century in the second century and the third century the idea that the Bible is the sole authority for God's people would have been strongly opposed by the Roman Catholic Church in the 1500s and the 1600s. The truth of the dignity of every human being made in the image of God, regardless of their skin color or their ethnicity, would have been seen as repulsive In the American South in the 1900s, or in South India in the 1900s. The equal value of men and women, that we are made both in the image of God and equal before Him in status, is seen as foolish in Central Asia, and the differences between men and women are seen as bigoted in North America. In every culture, there have always been truths from this book that we are tempted to do away with, that we are tempted to drift from, and yet we are called to teach faithfully. With so many temptations from the outside and from the inside, how are pastors going to do that? They're going to do it by keeping a close watch on themselves, by being aware of their lives and what they teach because the stakes are very, very high. Look at verse 16 again. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. Why? For by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Timothy's faithful teaching and living will save both himself and his hearers. Now, Paul doesn't mean that Timothy will save himself and he will save his hearers by being a good enough person, by keeping morally clean before God. This can't be the case because in verse 10, if you guys have your Bible, you can just look up, God is the Savior of all who believe. Timothy is not the Savior. God is the Savior. And how is he a Savior? He's a savior for all who believe. We are saved by faith in Christ. Our salvation is not based on what we do. It's based on what Christ has done for us. Christ lived the perfect life. Christ died on the cross in the place of sinners. Christ rose from the dead, triumphing over death and over Satan. And as we look to him, And see him and place our faith and our hope in him, we are saved. We cannot be good enough to have our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds. So, Paul doesn't mean that we're saved by doing good works. But what he does mean is that those who have believed in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and have turned away from their sins, they must continue to believe and continue to turn away from their sins faith in christ it is not a one-time act now it is true we are born again in an instant we are converted to christ we were dead in our trespasses in one moment and by god's grace we are made alive but paul says that the life i now live in the body i live by faith every step of every day we continue to trust in christ for forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life here we see two sides of the coin of god's sovereignty and human responsibility god is the savior of all people by timothy's faithful ministry he will help people be saved to the end. To put it another way, in Philippians, people are called to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in them to will and to work according to his good pleasure. In Ephesians 2, God prepared good works for people beforehand, and we must walk in them. Those who persevere to the end will be saved, And only those who are saved by God's grace will persevere to the end. We are called to finish the race. And according to Paul, the fruit of faithful, God-honoring, pastoral ministry is that salvation. It's the eternal joy of God's people. While the dangers of pastoral ministry are real... Pastors have the privilege of preaching the Bible week in and week out. We have the privilege of living in a way that hopefully you can look at and you can see to help God's children persevere to the end. That is an incredible gift. We are not the ones who ultimately save, but we help people get saved by God's grace. By God's grace, through regularly teaching a ministry that's devoted to this book and a life that is fully submitted to God, we help people find their eternal joy in Jesus Christ, find pleasures forevermore at his right hand, find no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, because they have put their faith in Christ and continue to walk by faith. And pastors get to be a part of it. It can be discouraging to be a pastor and that is good news because that is the greatest gift of all god's children are beloved by god jesus died for you and as pastors we have the privilege of helping you enjoy god more what does all this mean for you our our text is devoted to pastors but the, there are things that we as a church can learn How does this affect your life? First, I would ask you and beg you to please pray for your pastors. Pray for John, pray for myself, pray for any other pastors that the Lord would raise up for our church. We dare not live double lives. We need to keep a close watch on our life and on our teaching pray that we would do that, that we would live carefully and teach faithfully. Second, pray for other churches in this city. One of the reasons why we pray for other churches every single week, why Sonny prayed for the Arabic church this morning, or this evening, is because we want the church in lane to be a help for people to finish the race well. We want churches to faithfully teach the word and to reflect the word in many different language groups so that God's people from every tribe and tongue and nation will be helped to persevere to the end. We want churches that not only teach faithfully, but also live faithfully. And finally, when you leave our church, which we all will, every one of us will leave this church at some point in time, You should find another church where the leaders are committed to teach the bible and they're committed to live out everything that the bible says we have a membership class coming up here in a couple weeks and one of the things that we'll do is we'll walk through our church covenant one of the commitments that we make when we become members of this church is that when we go from here we will join in with another church that preaches and teaches the gospel every one of us will leave at some point in time. And if you care about persevering as a Christian, you will not only go to a church that may be culturally comfortable, you will not necessarily choose a church that has good music or good programs. Those things can be very good things, but they are secondary. The first thing that you should look for in a church is do they teach the Bible and do their pastors live holy lives? If the church does not have those two things, then you should run and start a new church. This means that you need to know what the Bible says yourself. And you need to value what the Bible says yourself. God works through faithful churches to help his people persevere to the end. To help ensure that his children will be in his presence forever. Faithful pastors, faithful churches have the privilege of being a part of that. May God work through our church and through other churches in our city to see God's children brought into their eternal rest. Lord, we are thankful for this gift that we have. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the examples that we have in our own lives of people who followed faithfully. And Lord, I pray that the church in Alain, our church, as well as other churches, would model that faithfully. Lord, as we sing your praises now, pray that you would help us to do so in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.